And it's your boys, Roshan Gomez, Jeremy Lim. What's up, what's up? Here for another episode. And today we're joined by a very special guest. Uh, I always do this. I, I don't know what's your last name. What's your last name? Green. G-R-U-N. <laughs> Let's try. <laughs> Alison Green. Green. <laughs> Alison Green. Green. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, it's a German last name. So it's a German last yeah, name? Yeah, it, it means green in German. Oh. For German ancestors. <laughs> so, um... For simplicity, Alison Green. <laughs> um, yeah, thank you so much for coming on. Pleasure. We are very excited to have you on. Um, you came in with your Harley Davidson. Uh, so we heard you We heard you pass by the house. <laughs> You're like, that's Alison <laughs> for sure. Um, yeah, and we got connected through Kashika. So shout out Cash. Thank you so much for hooking this up. Um, yeah, how are you doing? Doing great. It's Sunday, Sunday afternoon. <laughs> Laid back, had a nice ride, <laughs> avoided the rain. Mm. Yeah, you came from KL yeah. and it was raining heavy. It was pouring when I left KL and then uh, I had time to dry out until I came here. So, mm. oh, so you stopped, good start of the day. You stopped midway and then you put on your raincoat and everything. Yeah, just at the beginning actually, I saw the pouring rain. I just stopped and put some rain, rain, rain gear on and... And then by the time you came here, it dried off already. <laughs> and then I was wet inside of sweat and heat. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the adventure of writing in Malaysia. <laughs> <laughs> Malaysian weather for you. <laughs> Malaysian weather. When did you start uh, writing? In Malaysia or in general? In general. Oh. Were you like a, like a 10-year-old who really had a thirst <laughs> for adventure? Yeah. Yeah? So basically my first bike, my first motorbike, mm. I was three years old. It was Ooh. an electric uh, electric motorcycles. So I have oh, to say, wow. my family, my father is a motorcycle rider, okay. my mom as well. So, mm. uh, oh, wow. You're both your parents. Exactly. There's a genealogy. So I was, uh, <laughs> exactly. I, I was really raised like in a biker's club, basically. Okay. Mm. And so for my three years old, they offered me this big uh, electric plastic Harley Davidson. <laughs> uh, so I started when I was three years old. And then, um, Four years old, my father took me for my first uh, long trip. So he attached me on the back of his big Harley Davidson and we rode from Paris to Corsica with my mother and some friends. Mm. So that was my longest, uh, my first long trip. Mm. Um, but then riding, I started uh, riding when I was 14 years old. I had a scooter, mm. uh, mainly because my father didn't want me to ride on the back of guys. And he said, <laughs> you know, I know myself. I ride like mm -hmm. crazy. No way you're going on the back of guys. You have your own one, you know. <laughs> Like it was more, more trustful that I would ride safely. Was it was illegal at 14? Yeah, yeah. You can ah, ride uh, ah, okay. scooters, like small bikes when you're, when you're 14. So I would go to school with my small orange and purple, uh, <laughs> yellow and purple scooter, you know, very girly. <laughs> and then I got my first Harley when I was 19 years old. Ah, so, bought yeah. for you or did you save up? And <laughs> So this one was bought from, for my father, ah. from my father. <laughs> yeah, that was my birthday present for my 19 years old. So mm. yeah, was Best birthday present ever. Sounds like a very yeah. cool, you're very cool parents. Yeah, yeah, extremely nice, extremely nice. And I never had a car though, so I always had a <laughs> bike. So I, I'm just specifying that. Can you drive a car though? I can, yeah. Can. I took my driving license, but I never owned uh, a car. Are you still very close with, I mean, it must be difficult. You've been here for five years. Yeah. You haven't, so you would not have seen them for 
quite a while. No, fortunately, we see each other regularly. So uh, they came to Malaysia four ah. times. Oh, and, okay. Uh, yeah, I came back to France to visit. Okay. And last time I saw them was actually in February this year. We went on a road trip together to South Africa. So we did a family mm. trip. Oh. Um, my father was turning 70. I'm turning 35. And my mom uh, turned 62 years ago. So we decided to do like a birthday road trip together <laughs> to South Africa. So that's the last time I saw them actually. So a road trip meaning you're riding or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we, we each wow. had a motorcycle. Damn. And, yeah. <laughs> your dad's 70? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A motorcycle keeps young. I'm, I'm telling you. Yeah. <laughs> so who uh, pushed you more to ride? Your dad or your mom? Or was it an equal? I would say my dad because he's the one who's passionate for and first and foremost but um, so my parents have been together for 35 years and my mom met my father when she was 21 or something mm-hmm. like that. so at the, at the beginning she was on the back of his bike mm-hmm. but then uh, with time you know she wanted to ride her own so but I would say when I was small like four five six years old um, my mom was in a stage where she liked to ride from time to time, but, you know, all those bikers events where, you know, we drink and party and <laughs> camp. Like, you know, she had a period in time she was not that excited about it, but I was. So my dad would just take me with him. And sometimes he would just take uh, the truck and put the bike in it when I was too small just to take me with and so that we could ride there. Or he would bring a friend mm. with us so that I could go on the weekend. So I was the one going to the bikers' events <laughs> with my dad. And yeah, so he really... I think I was really lucky to be raised like as a loved child who mm. can do whatever she wants and mm. not as a girl, you know. Yeah. Your dad was really em- exa- helped, helped you to uh, get into it. Yeah, like imp- in, a, in, a way, in a way empowered you, like, I suppose. Didn't put any um, labels on you, right? Exactly. I wouldn't say empowered me, mm. but just let my power express itself. And mm. it didn't restrain my feminine power and mm. my masculine um, uh, style as well. Like they just let me be how I was and enjoy. And if I didn't like motorcycling and I preferred to play dolls with my mom or stay at home, it would have been fine as well. And I, I used to play doll as well with my mom anyway. But, uh, but it's just that he wanted me to express myself and he... You know, I've never, I was really lucky not to be told, like, if I was bullied at school or whatever, like, my father would say, punch him back, you know? <laughs> like, I, w- I was not said, like, oh, maybe, you know, there is this thing. I was watching this movie once about, uh, I can't remember the title, but it starts where you see a little girl being bullied, mm. and then the mother or the father says, oh, but he's mean to you, it's because he likes you, <laughs> you know? And that really stick to my mind because I realized that's so true. You always tell girls that kind of things. No oh, one. Yeah. If he's beating you, he doesn't like you. Oh, that's true, though. That's like. a that's a bad message to tell young girls. If he yeah. beats, if he if he is bad to you, that means he <laughs> loves you. That's not good messaging yeah. to young girls. <laughs> mm. So anyway, I was not told that, and my father <laughs> was not kick his ass. You know, so it's a bit I, more of an American yeah. thing, right? Um, that if they, yeah, that kind of. Well, I've heard it. I'm not sure where you. Where, do you remember where you saw it? Like uh, I think uh, yeah, the no the movie is uh, is not that into you. I think that's the title of the movie. That sounds um, familiar though. Yeah. But also like um, I told you about this um, series on Netflix, which is a uh, misrepresentations. Um, so they, they talk about it as well, and yeah, I think you see it in you know mainstream media anyway. You know, mm. in movies or series. 
well, I I've right. definitely heard it before, but that then again, that's because um, it's been we we grow grow up with Hollywood, you know. Mm, true. So American culture is kind of seeped into our culture as well. Mm. Um. So when you say that your dad didn't restrain your femininity, so meaning he never raised you as a boy, he never wanted you to become a boy. No. He basically raised you as a girl, but yeah. a girl who 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 likes to bike or, as a free person mm. <laughs> who can make her own choice on mm. what she likes and what she doesn't like and not constrained by societal expectations. When we think about um, um, France, we think about our first world country, did you have any blowback in terms of your decision to write? No. No one ever said, nah, you can't do it. No, no. Mm. no, no. It's very common. It's a lot of women write. It's it's mm. very normal. We there are still, of course, there are still some gender bias and things like that. But it's very common to see men doing women stuff and women doing men stuff. You know, it's mm. not. Uh, you know, we. I realized also not long ago, part of our national motto mm. is, um, free uh, liberté, égalité, fraternité. Mm. So it's uh, liberty, freedom, equality, um, and of. Brotherhood. Yeah. Isn't mm. that from like the Russian, uh, Russian No, no, uh, this is the, the French Revolution. French yeah. Revolution. Exactly. Yeah. And so I realized <laughs> no, how. I said Russian Revolution. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, from the French Revolution, <laughs> yes. So I realized like how those values are quite um, impacting me the way I am, but also my fellow French people. Mm. When I meet French women or French men, I can realize those values are quite deeply ingrained in us. Mm. And so typically, um, yeah, we are free to do what we want. We, that's a, a value that we really uh, hold dear to our heart, freedom. Um, so, so yeah, like if I wanted to do, like I used to do like classical dance and, you know, gymnastic, but also motorcycle and rollers. So, you know, my father just let me explore whatever activities I liked. Mm -hmm. you know? Did you see a difference between like the, I'm sure you've been exposed to like American sort of like uh, what American biker culture looks like. Mm -hmm. So what's, I mean, what do you think are like the, the, dis, the sort of like misconceptions about it? Or what is it really different like in, in France in terms of biker culture? So that's the funny thing. <laughs> and that's what I realized, uh, the, the power of community. When you have certain values or certain passion in common, we are not that different. And the, where we come from, doesn't really make a difference. Mm. So that's really funny. And instead of talking of America, I'd rather talk about Malaysia because mm. I, I expected more differences between mm. uh, the bikers community in Malaysia and in France, for example, than mm. France and America. Because mm. in France and America, like, I don't see particular differences. And I expected to see more like in Asia. Mm. But I realized that all the, you know, the the leather jacket style, <laughs> the, you know, the way they like to keep their bike um, looking good, uh, the kind of brotherhood values that people hold right, the, the solidarity that we have among bikers. You know, if you see somebody on the road, you would always stop. This kind of helping out if you have a biker coming to your country, you're welcoming him or her. Or, and all those values, and even in the style, they dress and it's so much the same. Mm -hmm. So for me, that's really funny. And the, also the love for food and drinks. You know, like sometimes I send messages and pictures to my uh, motorcycle club back in France. It's called Les Morphales. It means the gluttons. And that's the, <laughs> the club that my father has headed for over 30 years. Mm -hmm. And now he, 
he passed it over. But I was born in this club. So for me, it's more like a, a group of uncles and mm. aunties. Like I was raised with them, basically. Mm. And so sometimes I send them some pictures of my rides with Malaysian bikers and they're like, ah, they do like us, <laughs> you know. Or I brought my father once to meet some of the bikers who got their new jackets, like the new members. So they have some ceremonials and so on. <laughs> and they threw water at each other. And, they were, and all those, um, it's really difficult to explain because I live in it. So I don't know what's very, those signs, but I just can recognize them. I'm just like, well, mm. it's exactly the same as in France, right? Like mm, 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 mm. The, the codes, the codes, mm. yeah. Um, me and Jeremy are not your typical... Um, I mean, we've had people um, like Kashika, for example, was on, talk to us about football, but we really don't <laughs> have... We, don't, we didn't have much to contribute to that conversation. <laughs> and I think in a similar way with motorbikes, not really something both yeah. of us can really contribute. Never really thought about it even, really. Yeah, I, you know, I, but I guess so, we are not really in that culture, but I have wondered what's the big deal with riding. Because I've noticed that as well, where there seems to be um, a community um, and there seems to be a real joy for it and I wonder what it I'm like how much can the wind going through your you know like passing your face how how much of that can make you that happy mm. because I wonder why, <laughs> what what about riding itself right mm. it, aside from the community aspect yeah. but the actual act of riding mm. what about it is so exhilarating why is it so you have to try it. <laughs> <laughs> you can't describe it? <laughs> I can. No, of course I can. But I think uh, I think it's so much powerful when you try it. And again, there are people who might not enjoy it. But mm. what I would say, so from my own experience, yeah. and again, sometimes it's difficult because I was born in it. So for me, it's quite natural. I love it. But from my own experience and from talking with a fellow women or fellow riders, uh, there are different things. First, there is... I can, you cannot go without the sense of community because, you know, riding a bike is being part of a community. But then in terms of feeling of riding, there's a sense of control. Okay. You know, you're, you're the owner, like you're in control of your vehicle. It's exactly the same like when you're in a car, you're a passenger versus right, driving the I, car. I, I suppose the similar experience to um, riding a sports car because it's something very powerful and so you're in control of it. I suppose that part of it. It's like go-karting also, I guess. <laughs> in a way. On a, in a, on a miniature experience. <laughs> yeah, <sure. yeah. laughs> so it's that sense of you're controlling a beast almost kind of feeling. Uh, yes, there mm. is this. Um, then, I mean, yes, feeling the air. Like there is mm. this uh, quote from a book I've read, um, A Biker's Life. And he says that basically, you know, riding in a car is like being in a can. You don't feel your environment. You, you know, you're like like cut off from your environment. But when you're on a bike, you feel the air, you feel the temperature on your skin, you can smell. You mm. you know, it's just a whole complete different experience. So I was taking a, a woman, a girl on the ride um, on Wednesday. We went to the Highlands and so on because I, I for my business, I had launched a survey to um, learn more about women and motorcycles in Malaysia. And for five of Lucky Draw winners, I was mm. offering a bike ride. So a lot of them, for a lot of them, it was their first bike ride. And usually what they say is like, oh my God, it's such different. Like I'm discovering my city or I'm discovering my country because mm. when I'm on, like, you know, it's just a, a completely different physical experience than mm. being on the car, you know? Um, and then there is this sense of freedom. You can stop wherever you mm. are. You know, and especially in Malaysia, the 
super cool things. You don't pay uh, toll as well. <laughs> so, you know, you just go on the side. And, you know, that's, I find that really cool too. You, know? <laughs> you get to ride for free? <laughs> no toll? For some people, that might be a good that's experience. Really cool. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. Like my French biker's friend. I was like, oh, really? Yeah, that's cool. And yeah, you can stop wherever you want. And also, you get closer to people. When you stop, you have a problem. People will talk to you. Mm. You know, it creates connections with the people. Mm. Um... Yeah, and the feeling of the speed and the thrill, you know, and taking corners. <laughs> so there is a little bit of excitement as well, like mm. in, in riding a bike. Is there, um, is there any exhilaration because of the danger? It is dangerous a little bit. Yeah, 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 of course. Um, like you growing up, with your, were your parents ever concerned about safety? Oh yes, all the, but especially <laughs> no. So it's funny because they put me on motorbikes, but yeah. they're always like, oh, "Are you going? Why are you going to Nepal? Why are you going to those crazy places to ride?" And we wanted you to ride in France, yeah, not yeah. this other country. Yeah, yeah, it's a little bit like that. Yeah, you ride, but with me, next to me, not too far, you know, with our friends. You know, don't go on crazy adventure rides. So yeah, it's a little bit like that. Yes, of course, it's dangerous, but I mean. You know, what it is to live a life without taking any risk. Wow, that's a quote right there. <laughs> like, <laughs> we need to put a quote right there. <laughs> what, what is it to live a life without, without taking, taking without any taking risk. risk? That's true though. And honestly, there are people who, you know, you cross the road, you get run over. <laughs> like, and, you know, I always tell this story, but uh, my father always told me, um, there was the friend of his, um, when he was young, he was uh, riding, he was racing. Mm. And he was mm. always the one, you know, very, very safety conscious because he was racing on tracks. And so I would tell everyone, like, wear your helmet, wear your helmet. Whereas my father with his, you know, friends, they would just go out, drinks. And, you know, it was in the 70s, riding without helmets, whatever, no protection gear. You know, it was like, freedom. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and this guy, uh, once they were stopping somewhere and he, he just took off his helmet mm. and he put the bike on the on the sidewalk just to park it and he meets he missed the sidewalk he fell hurt his head died oh no he died like this on the spot the one time he took his helmet off oh dear and no i'm like sometimes destiny is destiny if i must die on the road i'll die on the road you know yeah i mean you drive you know for example yesterday i don't know whether you saw the news but nearby here mrr2 there was a lady just driving her car they were doing piling and the flyover, a slab of concrete just dropped on her car. Her car's completely smashed. But she, but she was... managed to survive it. Yeah. She... I don't know how. If I show you a photo, I'll show you a photo of the car. It's crazy. So it literally destroyed the passenger seat next to her, but she was I think there's headline, no, the story said minor injuries. Yeah. But if you saw if you saw the picture, you know, uh, you're like, uh, is that real? <laughs> well, you know, that's actually that brings me to a story as well. That mm. I actually survived the plane crash last year what? in May 2019. <laughs> Jane, Jane just <laughs> <laughs> what? What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's that's another example that I told my parents. You wait, see, wait, like we need to talk about this though. <laughs> what what happened? What's the details? No, so I was uh, in my previous job. I was traveling a lot, so I was traveling on a business trip from 
Bangladesh to Myanmar. Mm. So again, my parents, my, my father would say, why do you travel in this crazy country in the first place? <laughs> but you did it for work, but right? I did it for work. Yeah. And uh, so I was in, yes, yeah, so the plane uh, landed in Myanmar and um, there was lots of storm and they, it didn't land properly. I think it was not authorized to land, actually. I don't know if it had enough fuel or whatever, but there was a big storm. And it touched ground, but it was too much, in, too advanced in the... Um, Runway, okay. and he started. He tried to take off again, and Oof. he missed. So we crashed, and yeah. So and you know, like. So you crashed, meaning. So the plane crashed. It was broken in three parts. It was. Oh shoot! Yeah, it was wow. broken in three parts, and some people broke their spine because they fell in the undercarriage. What the heck? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Was this not reported anywhere? Yeah, of course it was. It was like in Asian. Like I can send you the reports later. <laughs> yeah. So it was reported, but uh, yeah, there was. Yeah, we were only like, I think, 35 people on the plane. It was a propeller plane. Oh, um, okay. So, yeah. But anyway, so all that to say that, you know, that's supposed to be the safest, yeah. you know, uh, transportation mode. And yet, I got yeah, this they, accident. They so. say like, uh, airplane crash is like getting struck by lightning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. nowadays. So anyway, I, I found the photo. Let me just show you. That's the car. That's bad, Ooh. right? That's crazy. But she managed to... You missed it by... a. Must have missed it by inches, I would think. If she was just off a little bit, she'd be dead. Yeah. She'd be dead. Wow. That's crazy, right? That's impressive, yeah. So I guess you're right. You know, if you're going to die, you're going <laughs> to die. Nothing like, huh? much you can do about it. Exactly. And then, of course… But maybe uh, you don't tell the stories right before you take people on a ride. Yeah, <laughs> no, sure. Not right before. No. <laughs> Your introduction. Uh, ladies, um, <laughs> we're all going to die eventually. <laughs> 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 it's not the best way to start. <laughs> yeah, that's the truth. But but it's also about learning the skills, you know, oh, yeah. and uh, le- you know, learning to be to be riding safe. Like, sure. you, we cannot control our environment, but we can control the way we ride. So mm. I don't take stupid risks. I make <laughs> sure I don't take my bike if I feel tired, or of course if I drink or whatever. Like yeah. I, I, sorry, uh, Sharon, do you tilting her mic closer to her a little bit? Uh? just you know, you're a bit too soft. Uh, right. Okay. Yeah. You can just a little bit more. Ah, okay, perfect. Okay. Yeah. So, so yeah, basically, it's just about finding mm. the right circumstances mm. and uh, yeah, developing sorry, the yeah, right sorry, skills. Yeah, uh, because our, our mic's a little bit sensitive. Just tilt it. So, you just speak into the mic. Like like this? Okay, I tell you, you just talk as normal. Sharon, okay. Sharon will adjust for you. <laughs> Sharon, you just... Uh, tilt it. Okay, just, just. Okay. Sorry, what were you saying? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, now you confuse me. Uh, like I'm focused wait, wait. on the background. What were you talking about? No, it's about riding safely. Yes. So yeah. you know, getting yourself prepared and developing the right skills, and you know, um, the, wearing the right gear mm. and being aware of your environment, and yeah, to do it safely, like mm. to do any activity safely. You know. Yeah, so, I mean, you have a responsibility to minimize your risk as much as possible, I, I suppose. I mean, depends what, what, how you're thinking about it. If you're thinking about it as a business owner, that's one thing, right? And then as an individual. Yeah. I mean, like, we all know that there are some people who start smoking and they never get cancer. <laughs> some people, they, they smoke for a few months and they get, you know. But it sure. doesn't mean like, oh, destiny, <laughs> you know, if I'm going to die, I'm going to die. Just start smoking. You, <laughs> you have to, of course, be a bit practical. and You take as much precautions as you can, I suppose. But of course, the most extreme is you just don't leave your house. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> that wouldn't yeah, be living life. <laughs> because that's dangerous driving in the Malaysian traffic anyway. <laughs> like, you know, just driving a car is dangerous as well. Like, yeah. So, okay. From France, how did you end up here? <laughs> um, well, 
I've always wanted, so when I was um, 18, so my parents, as I said, always took me on travels and stuff. So I've always been like quite into experiencing different cultures, learning about different countries, meeting different people. Mm. Um, so when I was 18, I left home and I told my parents, well, I'm not sure I want to study actually. Now I had my A-levels, I graduated with, you know, mm. uh, the, the, the congratulations mm. and whatever. So, you mm. know, that was the milestone you gave me to mm. achieve. I got it now. I go travel. <laughs> oh, yeah. So I went to Australia for a few months doing opera, learning English. Yeah. <laughs> um, and traveling around and doing small jobs for two years. Mm. Mm. And then uh, when I came back to France, I actually said, oh, actually, I want to study because I know what I want to do. So I studied in the UK. What did you study? Um, ma uh, management, international business uh, okay. in Manchester. And so after that, I've always thought that I wanted to live overseas mm. uh, because I felt that I was growing I was growing more as a person when mm. I was in uh, different countries and out of my comfort zone. I felt that I was developing better as a person. Okay. Um, so, but yeah, when I graduated, it was the economic downturn. So I struggled to find jobs. So I went back to France, got a job in a big company at Orange, the telco operator. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So I was in B2B sales for a few years. But when I started there, I've always thought, okay, I want to go overseas at some point. And then as I started uh, earning my life quite well, I thought, oh, okay, going overseas, backpacking or doing small jobs is fun. But if I can earn money on top of that. Oh, 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 oh. We have a logistical problem. Better? <laughs> if I can uh, earn money on top of that, even better. Mm. So then I worked towards, uh, so in the company I was working for, I looked for job opportunities to be sent overseas. And that's what happened in... 2015 or end of 2014 actually 14, okay. so I was working for one of the subsidiary of Orange uh, which says uh, consulting services mm. and they sent me to Indonesia first and then to Malaysia to open a rep office and to develop the markets here so that's what brought me initially to Malaysia okay okay so but are you still doing that or no 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 so um, I did that for a few years mm. and then you know when you grew in such companies they tell you okay if you want to have bigger job you need to go back to France or you need to move. But mm. after two years, like I felt quite well in Malaysia and I was just starting to understand how to work in Asia mm. and I didn't want to go. So mm. I thought, hmm. And also I was working in a very like startup-like environment. And even though I was working for a big company, I was working on my own and all my team members were in different countries. And I felt again, a kind of sense of freedom. And I was a little bit like... Um, constrained by big corporation rules and things like that. And I thought, oh, maybe I should work for a smaller company, you know? Like, and so then I decided to leave the big company and to join a smaller fintech company. Mm. And uh, so I took over their regional operations and I was managing teams again from Malaysia, but teams across uh, India, Philippines, Singapore, Malaysia. Mm. And that was until December 2019. Okay. Um, where uh, yeah, we had a few uh, economic downturn uh, yep. again. Mm. <laughs> and uh, so I lost my job at this time. Mm. And then I thought, hmm, that might be the best opportunity of my life yeah. to actually do what I'm passionate about and leverage on my business experience and management experience, but in an industry and for a company uh, with values that are important to me. Mm. So, yeah. what, what are the things that um, surprised you the most coming to Asia? Were there, like for, you said with the riding community, there, were, there was not much differences. But I suppose culturally, we are vastly different. 
was there anything that like shocked you or surprised you or like wow? That's a tricky question because there are many things. Mm. I think uh, everything. Yeah, <laughs> everything. I think Western and Asian cultures are very, very different. Yeah. Uh, but also quite complementary. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think Western cultures are more focused on the individual, right? But yes. Asian countries, they're focused more on the group, the yes, community. community. Mm. Uh, and yeah. in that way, they complement one another if you think about it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and also I discovered, so I, I was exposed a little bit to Asia before, like through my travels, but traveling somewhere and living somewhere is very different. Mm. And um, when I was, uh, also I have a, just side note, uh, my uh, mother is half Vietnamese. So mm. my grandfather was Vietnamese. Okay. Mm. And uh, I realized, I think that shocked me a little bit, I realized with time that there are a lot of Asian values that I actually had in me that I didn't realize. And mm. that now I feel quite comfortable with. Mm. Um, and these I didn't expect. Um, I would say probably... One of the key differences is yeah, in terms of communication and being straightforward. <laughs> that's what I struggled a bit most with. Mm -hmm. You know, people will not tell you things straight <laughs> to your face. <laughs> so that, that, is was, true here, though. that yeah. was a little bit difficult, especially in a work environment where I was managing team from different cultures and who were sitting in different offices and so on. That takes time, you know, to mm. build trust, to build relationships so that they can really tell you what they feel mm. and, you know, to work well with them as well. So mm. that was a big difference. Um, Jab, your grandfather is Vietnamese. Yeah. How does uh, your grandfather... He So he met your grandmother in France? France. Yeah. Oh. He was sent to France when he was 17. Because uh -huh. Vietnam is a French former French colony. Yes. I yeah. see. And he met my French grandmother in, in France. Oh, yeah. that's some um, old school. Because uh, <laughs> yeah. back in the day, it wouldn't have been as common. I mean, yeah. yeah. If you're talking about our that generation, it would have been uncommon. Yeah. It's like when we hear about um, Indians and Chinese getting married. Um, Way uh, back? Yeah, like our grandparents and grandparents' time. It's actually quite uh, not as common as it is now. Really? Oh. Mm. I thought it would be the contrary because I see a lot of interfaith, intercultural marriages from older people now. Like mm. the, the, and what I mean is that the interfaith or intercultural marriages that I know in Malaysia, mm -hmm. they're usually older people. No, mm. not really. Not really. Okay. Actually, actually, there were quite a lot of taboos. Okay. Uh, even within the Indian community, for example, um, your, if, your, if your like grandparents or great-parents were from a particular part of India... It would be taboo if you married uh, yeah. Indians from an, a different part of India. That mm. that at my my even my parents' time was still taboo. Mm. Getting over that. So what more with Indians and Chinese? But um, it wasn't like it was a no. Uh, it wasn't like people would go completely crazy and you know burn down the wedding ceremony. <laughs> but it was a little bit frowned upon. Frowned upon. Yeah. Even now, also my first girlfriend when I was dating my first girlfriend, her parents didn't like. Indian guys. Yeah. yeah, so it still it still happens, mm. you know. Um, so, yeah. So, especially, I, I think about... So, I have a friend who's... Both her grandparents were Chindians. <laughs> so, that means her great-grandparents uh, inter-Indian-Chinese. Uh, inter so, I like... I, want, I wish I could meet your great-grandparents <laughs> because it would have been very rare. It, they would have been one of the first. So, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, was, was there anything about that upbringing that was different, do you think, compared to your other friends in France? 
Yeah, I mean, that idea of interface, for me, is very uh, foreign. Mm. It's very uh, strange. That really goes against the idea of, you know, freedom and free will. That I, I can understand that people from similar cultural background get on better and naturally go with each other. Yeah, why mm. not? Yeah. But that's family and societal pressure that people have to stick to their communities. And that's what struck me in Malaysia in particular is how open and welcoming and uh, culturally mixed the country is. You know, you have a church next door and then a temple next door. And you know how people on the surface at least are uh, very mixed. Mm. And paradoxically... Mm how boxed <laughs> we are the most multiracially connected yet also disconnected people yeah <laughs> that's yeah. yeah that's very like sometimes i would speak with some like i speak with uh, my malaysian indian friends for example girlfriends they would say oh but you know i oh no actually it was a malaysian chinese who said the first time i met malaysian indian was when i was uh, 18 mm. or something yeah. like that you know in and no way. Like, that's really strange <laughs> to me. I, I met a Chinese know? girl over the week who told me for the longest time she was afraid of Indian men. <laughs> 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 then I was like, I hope that our conversation has helped heal this this fear in your life. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But, but there are parts of, the, parts of Malaysia that are not segregated wouldn't be the right word. But people can live within their own community yeah. amongst other communities. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. But that's why I think it's very important to... That's what I'm trying to do as well to 3 is kind of... Um, there is a strong sense of inclusiveness and learning from others and learning because, as I said, that I grew a lot as well. And when I talk to my Malaysian friends from, you know, different backgrounds or whatever, I've, I find it really fascinating. And I think it's, it's, um, it's exposure, you know. So mm. I want to help people have this exposure and learn from, learn from others, you know. That helps you have an open mind, you know. Just little fun fact. An example, <laughs> from my culture, like arrange wedding, arrange arrange, arrange we- wedding. Uh-huh. That would be a no. Bro- <laughs> like, that would, you don't mean arrange. You what don't mean. That? Do you mean arranged marriage? Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's ah, what she okay, means. Arrange okay. arranged marriage. Yeah, so yeah, okay. arrange marriage. Uh-huh. It's like that's an absolute no go for me, right? <laughs> but then you know, I was going to India every month, and I would yeah. talk to my friends there and my colleagues and so on. And I don't know. After a few months, then I was telling my friends, he couldn't believe it. I was like. You know, sometimes I think it might not be such a bad idea, you know, because yeah. like dating today is such a pain <laughs> in the ass. And, you know, sometimes <laughs> I'm thinking my parents, my parents know me very well. Yeah. So if they help me and if they could swipe on those dating apps, and <laughs> kind of screening for yeah, me, yeah. I'd love that, yeah, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. So, again, it's a question of perspective. I'm like, no, of course, I don't want to be forced into a wedding yeah. uh, or into a marriage. But you know, having your parents involved will help you. You know, my parents, they are retired. My mom, you know, she loves to do that. I'm like, it's not that bad. You know, those apps where your parents can select for you and oh, so on. Oh, this is an app idea, though. We <laughs> have sure. a but dating app. But it exists. App. We have a huh? it dating exists. app. Dating are you app? kidding? It exists in India. That's really? the thing. That's why I oh, discovered it. Yeah. So basically, your parents, 
they can manage your profile and they can take appointments for you. <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. I'm not sure how many people will be in love in the idea though. <laughs> need to open this app. Jeremy, this is an idea. We need to market this. Okay. A Chinese person, I don't know how I would market it. <laughs> I don't know. No, but I think the problem with our idea of arranged managers is in, on movies and TVs, it's dramatized to always be they're forced into an arranged marriage. Yeah. So it's always like, the girl is always in love with somebody else, but she's being forced to marry this guy and the all that. The movie wouldn't otherwise have tension if that wasn't <laughs> yeah. the case. If it wouldn't be a movie if it's a beautiful arranged marriage. <laughs> but what happens with a lot of arranged marriages, the guys and girls just don't want to, you know, like you said, the hassle of, they just want a partner to live their life with. So they're okay with their parents making that, you know, going through all that red tape and, <laughs> you know, as long as the guy's decent or the girl's decent, sure, let's start our lives together. And I've heard um, a different take about it, which I think is quite cool as well. When we date, we present our best selves to one another and we fall in love with those best selves. And the rest of the relationship is dealing with the negative stuff, the truth that comes out eventually. But with arranged marriages or with dates that are set up, it's the opposite. Because you have to go into it with no expectations because you don't know the person. And so then it's a journey of kind of exploring. And then you find, oh, this person has, you know, I didn't know about that about you. You know, oh, okay, this is that. So you build something gradually. So mm -hmm. I've had uh, relatives who, they said, you know, dating is not working for me. So uh, contact my mom, for example, and say like, can you set me up with someone? And then they get set up, but they, they just want to meet someone steady to, to get married to. And then they build a, a, a life like that. And mm. it's perfect. It's fine. You know, so that's a, a, like you said, the perspective is different. Of course, I think uh, forced marriages are, everyone would agree, <laughs> is unacceptable. Uh. You can't be like, you know, grabbing both of them and bringing them together. But mm. I, I just use that example because I found it interesting to learn about different perspectives and the mm. view of those people who were doing it because I was like, why would you do that? <laughs> you know? Um, and uh, yeah, but then, I mean, of course, I think for me, the thing is, is different because I, I don't want to get married just to get married. So that's yeah. also the things like I'm not like I would do it more like if because my parents know me. So maybe they would know what kind of man would make me happy, mm. you know, more than the fact, as you said, some people, they just want to get married again because of societal constraints. Because if you come to a certain age, mm. you need to get married or because if you're single, mm. it's, you know, if you're actually, if you're a single man, you're a bachelor. If you're sing, a single woman, mm. you're an old lady, you know, <laughs> whatever, you know, like society doesn't expect that you can be single and happy, you know, yeah. why would you be happy without a man? Yeah. You know? Without a husband, so yeah. that's um, that's interesting. That's another topic, anyway. <laughs> um, what did you? I mean, you've been here for five years now. So, what about Malaysia in particular? I, I guess you mentioned the multicultural part of it, but is there anything else that really um, attracted you to the country? Uh, in general, or in yeah, not particularly relating to motorbike. Anything up to you? Uh, I mean, honestly, nothing attracted me in Malaysia in the first place. I was sent, I came <laughs> here funny. on a holiday and okay. I decided uh, during one of my trips uh -huh. and I decided to do a walking tour okay. and I ended up walking from, you know, Bukit Bintang to KL Central. Okay. So can you imagine through which path I went, I ended up on the highway. Like there's no, now it's there's much no, better. There's no walkway to uh, exactly. Bukit Bintang to KL Central. And I did. So <laughs> yeah. you imagine, so I got a bit right now and um, <laughs> How would you I walk? felt the Hi the highway yeah you would walk the highway yeah 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 on the side because I ended up like there was no walking path at the time 
well, now it's getting better. But anyway, I'm telling you that story. <laughs> but, but because how, how did you move? You just took a map out or was it? Yeah, 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 exactly. Ah, okay. And then I was just like, uh, oh my God, but this city is crazy. And I'm just <laughs> telling you this story because I have this, you know, memory of Kuala Lumpur, like a, you know, huge city and people looking at you and I would go through, uh, you know, these, uh, now it's really near my place actually, uh, um, you know, Chinatown area and wow. where Kale Central as well. And you have all those, uh, you know, mean-looking guys, you know, look <laughs> like you, mm. like that, because they don't see many women, I don't know, whatever. So I was like, you know, I didn't particularly like KL. So no, I wasn't It's attracted. probably like, they were like, who is this white lady walking on the highway? It's a bit of that. I was not on the highway at the time, but yes. <laughs> 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 so anyway, um, so yeah, this, uh, I was not particularly attracted to Malaysia, but uh, then I was sent here and mm. When I started living here, again, huge difference between living and, mm. you know, being a tourist. And KL is such a small town. It's yeah. such a village now, <laughs> you know, for me. Like, So I get to know Kuala Lumpur. And what I love about it is the mix of infrastructure development where you can do things, where you can access lots of different, you know, um, like a very developed country, basically. Mm. Like everything I would like to find in Paris, where I used to live, I can find it in Kuala Lumpur. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, there is still this rough atmosphere <laughs> where you feel still in Asia. You know, for example, if I compare with Singapore, like mm. I don't really feel like in Asia, in Singapore, but mm. in Malaysia, you go, bah, you go to Kampung Baru or mm. you go even <laughs> to the back street of, you know, Jalan Alor, Bukit Bintang, or you go. And there are lots of small pockets like that yeah. of really, when I say rough area, I wouldn't, uh, authentic. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's, yeah. Not op, it's not uh, uh, positive or negative, but mm. it's just authentic. You know, mm. you feel like, uh, and and I think the people overall are really welcoming. Like, I know a lot of uh, foreigners who live in Indonesia or Thailand or in certain countries where it's not that easy to make local friends. Mm -hmm. uh, but I did, like, today, like, half of my friends are Malaysians, if not more, mm. really. And so I feel, yeah, that's what also made me stay, is this um, kind of... Um, it's quite easy to make uh, the country home. And also, paradoxically, because as I said, there are so many different cultures and communities in the Malaysian citizens themselves mm. <laughs> that, you know, sometimes a Malaysian Indian girl might feel much closer to me than she would to a Malaysian Malay girl, for example, yeah. you know? Mm. So, yeah, so I think that, make, that made it easy for me to stay. Is there a French community here? Yes, yes. There's a big French community. I, I know a few uh, French people. Mm, 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 mm. So in that way, you're still connected to some people, yeah. you know. Do you ever get homesick? Mm -hmm. Yes, uh, I don't get homesick from the country so much. Uh -huh. uh, Your family? But my family. My family and my friends, of course. Like At the moment, it's really hard because I don't know when I'm going to see them. Uh -huh. And I'm really close to them. Uh -huh. So not having a date and not knowing where we are going to be able to see each other, mm. that's, the, that's a little bit uh, challenging. Mm -mm. And you brought your parents down here, right? Yeah, yeah. They came several times. How, how, what do they think about Malaysia? Did they enjoy it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They like it. Okay. They like it. They, find, they, they realize why I like to live here. Mm. And uh, so I got them to meet my biker's friends. So <laughs> they found that really funny as well. They even brought a couple friends once to stay oh. with us. 
we went traveling to Laos and to different countries as well together. Mm. So no, they like it. They understand why I, li- I like it. I mean, it is true. La. Malaysia does have a sort of organic growth to it. It's, you know, there's um, certain cities in India, for example. I think it, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, I might be wrong here, la, huh, guys. <laughs> but I, I think... fact checkers every time. Ah, we need a fact checker. <laughs> but I think like Jaipur, for example, it was planned, you know. And it's a very beautiful city, but then people find that it's inorganic because it's been planned. So it, it feels very uh, artificial. It's too nice, mm. too neat. Whereas with certain parts of India, it's so messy and cramped and crazy, <laughs> right? But you feel like it's very organic. It's alive. The, it's a, yeah, it's almost like alive. Mm. And you have that with KL, right? You have that like <laughs> random, you know, places that you, you feel a lot of energy, I guess, in KL. Um, it's a weird town. <laughs> it is a weird town. Are there any cities in Asia that were comparable? Or from the riding experience, I suppose. No, but from the riding experience, you don't want to ride in cities, in you Asian wouldn't. cities anyway. That's a right. nightmare. Like People usually <laughs> do it in the countryside and all that. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you want to go off the beaten track, you want to go in the countryside. But that's something, for example, that's also very peculiar from mm. Ko- of Kuala Lumpur, is that, you know, I take my bike 20 minutes down the road and I'm in the mountain. You yeah. know, and mm. I'm in the highlands and I uh, can be in a kampung like as if I was... Uh, hundreds of kilometers away, mm. you know, you go even behind Batukes. I go rock climbing at Guadamay, mm. you know, Guadamay Extreme Park. It's mm. just behind oh. Batukes. Mm. So every Sunday, like I, I ride then, you know, you go through the small kampung and you, like it's not Kuala Lumpur anymore. It's just mm. like 15 minutes away. So, and that's something that is very rare in a big Asian city. So maybe you can find something like... Uh, but of course, if I take uh, Nepal or Myanmar, uh, you can easily, you know, go out of town and be in the countryside as well. But then you don't have the level of development that you have in KL. Mm. You see what I mean? So mm. that's why I think for me, KL is very specific in that sense that it's a really developed Asian megalopole, but you have this access to countryside very quickly, you know? <laughs> so I can't think of anything really comparable. I think mm. those of us who are local don't really think about it in those terms. To be honest, <laughs> when you're a local person, you tend not to explore as much <laughs> as a person who's coming there for the first time. Yeah, like, that, for example, yeah. when I studied in the UK, then I would go everywhere and explore. But in Kiel, honestly, I <laughs> really have not. I think you've traveled probably more than me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. At least K- of KL, yeah. Of KL, definitely, yeah. yeah. Um, so now we we have to talk about uh, Free, Free W. Uh-huh. So that's your company that you've just started up. Um, we were very excited to have you because we think the idea is so cool. Maybe you can explain the premise. Yeah. Um, so maybe I should start a little so uh, to make a link with Malaysia. Mm. So as I told you, when I was uh, riding uh, back in France, I've always uh, rode bikes with my family, friends, and, you know, boys, men, women, like, you know, uh, no difference. And when I came to Malaysia five years ago, the first year I didn't have a bike, so um, it was too expensive to buy. So I rented a bike, I did a few trips, but I started getting in touch with riders here, you mm. know, because I was interested to, you know, discover the biker scene. And uh, so there was a lot of guys, big guys community, and I started riding with them or riding bikes. Or, How big is the community here? How uh, big? I don't know, like there are hundreds of clubs from two hundreds people to tens of people. Yeah, okay. yeah. Because as soon as there are two or three guys, they build a club, you know. So, <laughs> That's how that works. So okay. uh, it's quite a big community. And again, yeah, there is Harley Davidson bikers and there are also motorcyclists in general. So motorcyclist mm. community is even bigger, right? Um, but anyway, all that to say, I, I started like 
riding with them. And for the first time, I felt really uh, drawn at, uh, to women. I felt just safer. And I would say I, the, the motorcycle guy was super fun and nice and welcoming. And I still ride with them. And I really love them. They're really cool guys. Because again, they reminded me like my, my family back there. Mm-hmm. But they were not my family. They were not, I couldn't be as close to them as those bikers in France that saw me grow, mm. you yeah. know? Those mm. guys in Malaysia, they saw me as a, you know, white woman mm. riding a bike yeah. and they saw me as an adult straight. And, yeah. you know, sometimes like I would get some messages, mm. you know, guys who want to take me for dinner. And, you know, there was a kind of different dynamic mm. uh, that I didn't have when I was in France. Um, so I got, so I started riding with women and my friend uh, Mila, um, she's the one who really like introduced me to the ladies, bikers, communities, the ladies of Harley or the ladies riding Ducati and so on. Mm. And basically, I was really impressed by the different vibe <laughs> when you ride with women. Mm. And I also realized how, again, I don't like the word empowered, but how self-confident and mm. how happy and how free those women were expressing themselves mm. when on their bikes. Mm-hmm. And that really like struck me. And so I started riding with them and I really loved it. And then it was on the side, right? As mm. in on the side of my job and so on. Um, and in parallel, I did a lot of trips like uh, road trips as well with different people in France, in India, in Nepal. And um, I went in these rural mountains and I really discovered as well the, the resilience and the mental strengths of women who face adversities and who are in really different, really complex, you know, environments. Mm. So anyway, all those different experiences kind of came together. Mm-hmm. And um, because in my last trip, I also thought, you know, like when I ride with guys, they're always a little bit in a hurry. They do it <laughs> for the challenge. Mm-hmm. But then we would stop in some homestays and get south. And I would see those women cooking like amazing things from nothing. And mm-hmm. I, I just wanted to learn from them. And I, want to hear, I wanted to hear about their life and... You know, and I was a little bit frustrated sometimes just to go from one place to another. Mm. And then I was like, oh, you know. So is there a difference between male drivers and female riders? That mainly that, I would say. Mm. Usually, men would, like the guys, they will want to go from point one, point A to point B. You Mm. know, like with with a certain goal in mind and Mm. they like to go quite fast. And, you know, like even... Even though I'm really used to ride with guys, sometimes I would feel a little bit bad if I take a little bit too much time in the morning or mm. whatever, you know. And I was thinking, wow, if I could travel with some of my woman friends, that would be so different. Like mm. we would sit down with the woman. We would, or even, and if I had a local Nepalese woman guide, for example, she could help us translate and actually really interact with those women because that's what I was looking for because I really believe that traveling that's people who make traveling interesting and meaningful you know mm. so anyway to get it short um i decided to create free w so the w stands for uh, will w h e e l but it can also stand for will w i l l mm. and woman woman yeah <laughs> and also walter which is the name of my father 
and mm. he's the one who initiated me to, oh, to buy. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. So that's, <laughs> that's how Freedable You came about. And basically, um, I want to use motorcycle mm. to encourage women to build self-confidence and to free themselves uh, through motorcycling experiences. So I'm offering motorcycle classes and motorcycle day tours in Malaysia. But then I'm also leveraging on the community of women riders that I know across the world to um, to make adventure road trips mm. for women in those countries. So we mm. have one trip in Nepal. So we were supposed to go to Nepal uh, in uh, April, May 2019. And obviously mm. with COVID that yeah. was cancelled. Um, and I hope to still do it in 2021. And then we have a trip in India that is planned, one in Myanmar, and now I'm working on a project with, um, with uh, another woman to do a trip in Iran. Mm. So I'm very excited about this one. I think it's a very, very, very cool idea because even for me, I've never really seen or been exposed to female riders. I think I've, through media, and not only media to be fair, even when I look at the road, when I see riders, for some reason, they seem to be male. Mm. Um, so... I was mind blown to know that there were female riders out there. I think that's very cool. But I also think if you take rides, for example, KL, if you're driving through Kampong Baru or you're going to the more, the more rural areas or if you're going to Nepal, for girls um, and ladies to see you coming in and having those conversations, um, I think it's pretty one mind blowing for them as well. And uh, I know you don't like to use the word empowering, but it does open their eyes in the sense that to know that they have more options than they think they have, right? And that uh, they can do things that are cool because riding is cool, right? And um, I think that's very liberating. Mm. I think that's very, very cool. Um, that's why yeah, I, 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 I say that uh, I build on communities that inspire and get inspired mm. too. Because for me, it's a two-way thing, mm. you know. And when when we are going to travel, being on day two or being on adventure trips, um, the idea is to meet women with very different backgrounds, different life. And yes, we will be inspired by those women and what they do and how they live their life. But we will also inspire yeah. those women and especially through the local guys. Because one of the key concept of the road trips that I organize overseas is to leverage on the local woman guide. So mm. the idea is also to be able to offer job opportunities mm -hmm. that are a little bit more uh, meaningful and better paid to local women. Um, because I don't know if you know, like in the tourism space, in the tourism industry, approximately most of the workforce, approximately 70%, according to UNWTO, mm. um, is a female. Mm. But they are really often constrained to low-paid or uh, low-paid job. Mm. Or sometimes they work for free in family businesses. Mm. So what I want to do basically is, you know, put value on that. And so when we do activities, so I did the tour, for example, three weeks ago, uh, we were a few women riders, um, and the idea was to do, go for a ride. And then we, I did a collaboration with Women of Wheel, uh, mm -hmm. who's an, we, they are an NGO that um, supports, uh, that gives training, leadership and business training to B40 women, low-income women, mm -hmm. to, um, to get their business going and to grow their business and so on. So we decided, so we did this motorcycle too, and then we go meet those women and we did a baking and sewing classes. Mm -hmm. and, and so we value that, you know, we value those kids, we learn from them. And so it's a way of empowering them economically mm. 
but again, I think it goes hand in hand with the mind. So can guys join the right services you provide? Yes. So mm. guys can join as a as Participant. a participants, yeah. like they can be uh, on the back of my bike. Or mm. Ideally, right now, I deliver the tours myself mm-hmm. and I can take a passenger, mm-hmm. male or female, and um, and the others usually are female riders. Mm-hmm. But ideally, I'd like to hire local women mm. to do those tours too because I think if they're Malaysians, it has even more value than me being French. You know, they know more about their country, mm. supposedly, than I do. So, um, so yeah, the idea, so then guys can be like participants for the day tours Mm -hmm. and they can be participants of the motorcycle classes as well. So Mm. my target market is primarily women, but I'm not close to men. I'm happy to engage them. I'm happy to coach them how to ride. And again, later... I'd like to hire women coaches themselves so that they can teach as well other women and men. Mm. The only thing that is women only mm-hmm. is uh, the road trips. Mm. Because I really think the idea is also, as I said, sometimes we're in a group of women, it's just a different atmosphere. It's the just a context where we, it's a different dynamic. Mm. There are places where we can share different things. And you know, my first tours, I met them women only just to kind of get going because those low-income women, they are not always used to meet, uh, you know, foreigners or other women. So I wanted them mm. to feel comfortable, mm. you know, with a group of women rather than, you know, bring, bringing guys on, on the first time, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, the, the road trips is really like to reconnect with our womanhood, to be able to share experience, to talk freely with each other, to take our time. So that's the only thing that's really like women only for, for those tours. But again, like for example, in Nepal, we will have uh, also a team of support guys and mm-hmm. will be with us. But um, so connect, reconnect with your womanhood. Um, what, 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 how did they lose their, what, in what, what do you mean by re- rediscovering their womanhood? So it's not rediscovering, it's more re- reconnecting. So when mm. I say reconnecting, it's also because sometimes um, when we talk about women uh, specificities, specificities they are all, it's always viewed negatively. So I will give you an example uh, in the corporate world, for example, mm-hmm. the fact that we have our period, Mm. You know, it's always like, oh, she must be in a bad mood because mm. she has a period. Or the fact that we are a little bit sensitive. Mm, mm, um, mm. Or, you know, all those uh, stereotypes about women characteristic mm. and the fact that we are empathetic or the fact that, you know, we, you know, yeah, whatever it's characteristic. Painted, it's, it always is painted in as a, a more negative, negative light. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely I see that. Um, and so for me, the idea of being together and especially on women uh, on motorcycle adventure trips mm-hmm. is to explore those womanhood specificities because I think they're actually huge strength. Mm. They are our strength. And yeah. instead of, you know, covering them and thinking they are weaknesses, we need to assume them. Yeah, and so it, it seemed like a, a response to... We we paint uh, certain attributes that are more common with girls. The way we that was and we paint it in a negative way, but then the response seemed to be like to say that oh girls are completely the same as men, but that also that, that's a disservice because there are differences, and but those differences are not bad. Those differences are good. Mm-hmm. You know there are things about, about men that might be different from women, and that is good. There are things that are different about women, and that is good as well. So I guess I I get what you're saying. So you're saying that you're trying to. Um, um, sort of 
get them to understand that their womanhood is a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It's not something that they need to shy away from or be ashamed mm. of or even deny. Exactly. And discover that they are actually source of strength, mm. of huge strength. Mm-hmm. Because being able to care for others, yeah. that's what, you know, for example, in Nepal, after the, the earthquake and mm. so on, women have, have rebuilt communities because, and you know, and they, 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 they managed to stop having, um, they, they managed to uh, reduce the risk of violence amongst communities and so on. So, you know, that's, those are very uh, important qualities. And sure. also I would like to give you an example because something mm. uh, happened to me yesterday that I'd like to share because that's really like gives me shivers and I think that's really the whole thing of why I'm doing this as well. Mm. So I took uh, this uh, uh, young uh, woman on the right um, that she won the lucky draw and she's from Yemen and mm. that's one of her biggest dreams to ride a motorbike. Mm. Um, and, um, but yeah, she cannot really afford the classes. And then in parallel, I am in a group of uh, women riders groups and so on. And just to show you the solidarity, uh, one of the American women um, was looking for women who are teaching other women. And she said, she reached out to me and she said she loved my project and my company. And she said, you know, like if you have a crowdfund or anything, let me know because I'd like to help out. Mm. So anyway, yesterday I had these, you know, thoughts and I just contacted her and I said, look, I'm not crowdfunding yet, mm. but if you want to help, I actually have this young girl mm. and it's actually one of the business line that I'd like to have in the future, like peer-to-peer loan. Mm. And I was mm. like, if you want to sponsor that girl for her classes, you know, let me know. Mm. And she said, yes. She oh, said, yes, nice. of course. And nice. so, you know, like, I'm like, uh, so I send a message to, to this woman and like, she's overexcited and mm. she cannot believe. And so, you know, that for me, you know, that's what I'm trying to create through, mm. you know, through those activities and, and through those explorations and, and through this company, mm. you know, because I believe in the power of, you know, women and communities. That's really cool. Yeah. So you're doing this a bit, I mean, it sounds like there's definitely a social aspect a social cause kind of aspect to it. Like, Completely. Yeah. Uh, I would say I definitely think my company is a social enterprise. enterprise. Mm. Um, the thing is, I don't want to insist too much on that part mm. because in, most importantly, I'm from a business background. And most importantly, I think that to make things sustainable, mm. we need to make profit. And I need mm-hmm. to bring value to the people. I need to bring value to my customers. Mm. And then, of course... The idea, when I make profit, I want to reinvest to be able to train women. To So I developed, I started developing a program to train women on bikes and to mm. become tour guides. Um, and so typically, yeah, with this profit, I can reinvest and make it sustainable and, you know, then develop different offerings. Right now, I'm focusing on day tours, riding class and uh, road trips. Maybe I'll have to, you know focus on one at the moment I'm still you know trying out the market and mm. and see what's working and and so on and what makes me business sense um but then yeah I mean ultimately you know sometimes when we talk about social enterprise there is this kind of image that you know profit is bad and you know <laughs> money is bad and but you know it's I don't think so. I think money is good if it's used for the good, you know, for the good objectives. We need it to make it sustainable. We cannot rely on donations, you know. Mm. I mean, actually, that's the definition of social enterprise. Yeah. I mean, it was supposed to be uh, to be distinct from uh, NGO, for example. Social enterprise is supposed to be uh, be able to create a business that is self-sustaining, but with a 
societal kind of benefit to it, mm. right? Uh, but it it is with social enterprises now. A lot, a lot of times, it's um, them running like an NGO. Uh, <laughs> they do a lot of crowdfunding, or they try and uh, get a big company to so that they can be part of the CSR program. Mm. And, you know, and they, they that's their income, lah. They're not really innovating as much as they probably should be. <laughs> like we were talking to um, a guy, Shafiq. Um, he, he's a director for um, um, a theatre company. But his full-time job is, he works in Aksiata. Mm-hmm. And he's been working for like five, six, seven years there. Then he said like, he, 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 is, he likes that he has that background, that corporate background, because he knows what it's going to take to make his theatre company sustainable. So, for example, when he he redid um, a musical called Sepet, he priced it at uh, what hundred hundred ten hundred ten, and he said he knew that people are going to say it's expensive. But he looked at the market, he looked at what other countries are charging, and he just firmly put it at hundred and ten. He charged it. It he did very well. They sold out one month plus, and so now he has enough money to reinvest in recording the songs. And putting it up on Spotify, for example. Mm-hmm. So that's a like a good example, like where you you kind of um, bring in the business mind into your that passion project that you have. How how have the guy riders, the male riders, reacted to your your enterprise? Are they supportive? Mm-hmm. Do they not know anything that's going on? Are they yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. They're super supportive, and I mean, um, most motorcycle guys that I know really love to see women ride. You know, mm-hmm. they really like it. Again, it's a different atmosphere and they like it. So they're really, they're all very supportive. Um, they just, no, sometimes they just say, oh, I'd like to come with you. Why can't I come with you? You know, that's the only thing. Like, that's a bit unfair, you know. They feel a bit, they might, they might feel a little bit excluded, you know. Like, hey guys, you know, you do guys trips too, right? When you go to the golf club and do your things or when you do on your bike ride or you want to have a guys night. I mean, it's the same, you know. We also have to have our guys, girls trips, you know. So, so yeah, but overall, they're really supportive and they connect me with other women riders yeah. and so on. But right now, the the challenge I'm facing a little bit is my offering is more like uh, targeted at foreign tourists. Mm. Um, and, well, except the motorcycle classes. But um, And at the moment, I'm testing my offering with Malaysian mm. tourists, Malaysian people. So that's, that's what's a little bit tricky. Mm. Uh, because uh, yeah, there are different target markets and so I need to adapt a little bit at mm. the moment. And yeah. foreign, uh, foreign tourists are not allowed to come back in just yet. Yeah, uh, yeah that's the problem. Mm. Yeah, And with locals, you have a lot of cultural norms that you have to navigate and it becomes a lot more complicated. Mm. But yeah. we definitely... definitely Malaysians don't want to pay. Uh, <laughs> there's a bit of that also. I would you think. need to give them a good bargain. <laughs> <laughs> you need to give like a one... F- free buy lesson <laughs> one buy one buy, buy one free one yeah, yeah. almost <laughs> two classes one free <laughs> yeah yeah buy one free one no yeah that's funny though like guys are a bit funny in the sense that when they get excluded they become really like sensitive like <laughs> I remember when the KTM they would have the female coaches then suddenly oh. all the guys became super like pro equality this is not fair we can't exclude people <laughs> Or when you go to the gym and they have like a woman's area, this oh. is sexism. They're like, wow, wow, not bad guys. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly. Suddenly became a, 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 
uh, equal uh, ac- uh, equal rights activists. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's funny. And actually, that makes me think of another story because you yeah. you know you were talking about uh, dating apps. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that's the same. So one day I actually I uh, got um, banned from Tinder because at some point I was. Uh, you, you can know, get banned from Tinder. I didn't know you could. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can. Oh. Uh, how lame is that? <laughs> <laughs> I know. Like when my <laughs> my friends are saying that, like oh, that's really lame. Yeah. Anyway, but. But uh, no, just to tell the stories, because at some point uh, during my career, like a few years ago, I, I was pitching. Uh, I thought, oh, why not during a weekend? I went yeah. to pitch. I went to pitch um, for a dating app. Uh. I wanted to, because you were tell, telling about creating a dating app. And I think that <laughs> dating app are really not adapted for women and the way we yeah. date, the, the, the way we connect with people and yeah. guys, you know. And anyway, so I wanted to create an app where men would have to introduce themselves through video maybe mm. 30s or one minute, because I mm. feel that when a guy speaks, it just says so much more than just through pictures <laughs> of writings. And the key element was to have them propose an activity to get to know each other. And basically, yeah. mm. dinner, drinks, coffee dates, forbidden. <laughs> it has That's to be boring. a physical activity. It has activity to be like an activity where we can actually, you know, because also so many people like, speak about what they love. Uh, they love cinema. Okay, well, when was the last time you went to the <laughs> cinema? Six months ago. Oh, really? You, love <laughs> you know, so sometimes it's a bit... So at least really enjoy something together. But anyway, I, on Tinder, I had matched as many guests as possible and I was sending them a message mm. to tell them, oh, okay, you're cute, but that's not enough. Can you please send a short introduction video to the hot... <laughs> uh, so I had named my app the Hot Guy app. Uh. Um, at gmail.com and propose an activity. So anyway, after a few weeks, I got banned. And so I think that just guys started reporting me. And then, so that made me think, okay, maybe the Gmail address was a little bit, you know... uh, A little little bit shady. A little bit shady, I don't know. uh, Because if you're going to send the same message, I think they might pick it up. Or the guys were reporting her. Oh, maybe. I don't know, but I mean, how much time do I have to be reported to be banned from Tinder? I don't know, because there are also a lot of shitty guys, shady guys on on Tinder, and they don't get reported, and they are still there, I'm telling you. Like, (laughs) you know? We we, we had another, sorry to interrupt you, but we had another girl who was on Colleen, who was an MMA fighter, and then she told us how, I mean, she has a a bigger following than us, at least. She has like, what, 9,000, 10,000 followers on Instagram, whatever. And she said guys would message her, Asking because she's a MMA fighter, they would message her uh, to ask her to choke them. <laughs> to choke them. Yeah. So, Daddy's guy should get reported, like not. <laughs> Maybe not Alice. <laughs> I'm just well, like, these guys are so brave. Is the freaking Me Too movement <laughs> going on? You're damn brave, right? What the heck, man? Please, please. You all got no brains, one. It's just one snap of that photo, and gonna, your name is going to be. I could, they could lose that job. Yeah, what the heck? But I mean, I guess, yeah, whatever. But anyway, like... Yeah, so, but you see, they're not used yeah. to be, you know, to be trapped like this. They used to, you know, do anything in impunity, yeah. basically, yeah, yeah, yeah. and recklessly. So yeah. that's a sign. And then you see, then I was thinking, I ne- then I did, I never got back on Tinder because I was like, I was, in a way, I took it like in a funny way, but then I was a little bit mad. I was like, come on. So they banned me from this app just to give a little challenge to guys. And those guys, what, did they feel threatened? <laughs> just because I asked them to send a video? <laughs> come on, you know, that was, a, you know, there's double standards there. Yeah, like, yeah. I was like, oh, okay, maybe you feel a little bit like objectified. Yeah. I don't know. Like, you know, and suddenly yeah. it's a big deal, you know, so. But did anybody, did any guys come back with a video? So actually, no, one of my friends, 
like the ID and he sent me a video. Okay. And I even sent a video myself. Like I put me, uh, myself like in reason. I was like, look, it's easy to do and you do it like that. And I did a video <laughs> myself. Uh, but then there are two guys who actually were interested. They didn't send the video, but like maybe six months later, one contacted me again. Hey, are you still doing this thing? <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, that's something interesting. Um, but yeah. Anyway, but that was the side story. But to say really, you know, double standards, like, you know, when guys yeah. feel a little bit threatened or, you know, objectifies <laughs> or if we, you know, ask about, you know, showing their body or whatever, mm. they're always like, ah, you know, but How we've been... You? Yeah, yeah, but we've How been living that all the time. Yeah. Objectify me. I'm not a piece of meat <laughs> for me to do a video and make a sale. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you see? Dear Tinder, <laughs> please... Please unblock Alison. <laughs> she was just trying to do what's right. <laughs> she doesn't deserve to be blocked. Let's see if they're going to listen to this and respond. <laughs> we know you're listening, Tinder. Or you will tag them. <laughs> oh man, that's crazy though. So, um, um, are you on other dating apps? <laughs> are the other dating apps better? Yeah, no, not really. No, I'm I, I'm on Bumble mm. uh, because I just think there's less choice and, you know, so that's... Uh, no, there's the one where the guy has to like... The girl, girl chooses, right? CNN. No, yeah, no, the girl has to to speak first. Ah, But okay. again, I don't think it has to be a rule. So for me, it doesn't make sense. And just, you know, swiping on pictures, like it's a thing that I do when I'm on the toilets, you know. And yeah. I, mean, <laughs> <laughs> I think the whole swiping thing is a bit weird. Um, at least last time when our parents were doing on online dating they had like a form you had to fill in you know you had some sort of personality you know they would match you to someone who was maybe a bit more aligned to your personality i think uh swiping left and right might <laughs> not be the most advanced uh technology that we have out there la. they need it to be accessible la. maybe yeah, you, can yeah. do it, you can do it on the toilet so you but, know, yeah exactly and you know at least you know you don't stay too long because on bumble there are too many there are not too many choices that was the advantage <laughs> but i would say you're right but what i find a little bit shame is again we're in a society where everything goes fast yeah. it's quality quantity over quality yeah and so i this i find really sad you no, know the, because then we are just like yeah yeah, yeah. It's just a question of volume, you know? So <laughs> No, social media is designed to catch us like that, right? Mm -hmm. And so right. this dating app is a social media dating app. So it's just meant to keep you attracted in the short run. And glued to the app. <laughs> and glued to the app, right? It's addictive, right? <laughs> Some people just like swiping, 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 swiping. They never even yeah. go for a date. They just like swiping. Yeah. Uh, and now I get the dating advice from my grandma. So she doesn't <laughs> like dating, but you know exactly on those where you can meet, you can yeah. do the profiles and so on. So she was telling me, yeah, but you need to give a chance and then you need to put this in your profile. And then you need to oh, wow. that. She's 85. Huh? <laughs> this is the grandmother who married the Vietnamese guy? Ah, uh, then yeah, mm -hmm. she she definitely legit. <laughs> she knows she, what she's talking she about. She was ahead of her time. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah, yeah, it's tough, yeah. Dating is tough out there right now. <laughs> I have a lot of friends with like war stories, like, war like you stories. know, really bad experiences. Yeah. Some even got scammed. Mm. You know, get cheated. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah. I'll tell you outside the. <laughs> I can't <laughs> tell. I can't tell that story here. But I've I've had friends who cheated. But again, I mean, dating is fun and is important. It's nice to have a partner, but also, again, through the, the trips, through FreeW, I want to also show and give inspiration to women that there, are, there is not one way of living. And, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. if you're happy differently and if you're happy single or if you're happy married, it doesn't matter. And when I say reconnecting with your womanhood, it's mainly because... 
a lot of women are always constrained in certain roles. So as a daughter role, as a sister role, as yeah. a mother role, as a wife role, as a businesswoman role, whatever. And very often, I've, that's, I would say, the, one of the key differences I, I felt in Asia, when I met in Asia, when I came here, is sometimes I feel, I wouldn't say it's sad, but that really hurts me to see women who cannot be just women, just yeah. for themselves, you know? Just to have some fun, to be free to be themselves, uh, and not to be in a consigned role, yeah. you know? Mm -hmm. And when I say reconnect, re reconnecting with your womanhood, it's that, you know? Go on with a group of friends, of girls, and just be you. We don't care how many kids you have, if you have a boyfriend or a husband or what you do at work, it doesn't matter, mm -hmm. you know? We just have one thing in common, we are adventurous, we want to have fun, and we are women, we are as individuals, yeah. you know? That, that destruction of the sense of self is quite... Um, prevalent? Prevalent, yeah. I, mm. I do think so. Like, I think when in uh, in Malaysia, for example, when a lady has a child, um, the, the, the mom's identity, the lady's identity um, becomes the child's identity. And I don't say that that's a bad thing necessarily, but I think there's an imbalance between men and women. Lah. And I think a little bit of that can be shared to, to men. I do think that children are important and they need... They, it is a sacrifice to have a child. Mm -hmm. And a, a bit of yourself, you, you can't be a child anymore when you have a child. <laughs> you have to grow up, right? You have to think about the other person. Sometimes it's saying no to things that you want to do for, the, for, the, for your child. That's a sacrifice. But you cannot let all of your identity be, uh, you know, disappear. You still need to have a bit of a sense of self. And so I think if you could balance that a little bit between the man and the woman, right? Between the husband and wife, I think that would help a lot. And even in romantic relationships, I find if you lose your sense of self and your identity becomes your relationship, mm. in the long run, I don't think that's a healthy relationship. Mm. And mm. so like having, you know, I have, a, I have spoken to people like friends who are, feel un they don't like being alone. Like they call me to talk to me and they tell me that, I just don't like to be in my room alone. And like, I would ask them like, you know, maybe you need to deal with that. You know, mm -hmm. in, instead of going finding partners to keep you less lonely, because I'm sure it works in the short term, but maybe you need to be comfortable being by yourself yeah. before you have a partner, right? That's so true what you're saying. Yeah, mm. It's very true. Very true. And yeah. a lot of people, yeah, find partners because they don't want to be alone. Yeah. 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 Um, before the podcast started, we were talking about... Um, Jane, Jane requested that we talk about... Uh, <laughs> Jane requested? Jane requested. I'm putting it on Jane. Jane asked us to talk about the... I don't know whether you're aware of... I mean, we did talk about it a little bit before the net, uh, before the, we started recording, but that Netflix uh, show came out. It's called Cuties, but in... Uh, in French, it's... I don't know if I'll be able to pronounce it. Let me... Can look it up? Let me, let me see whether Alison knows... Ah, mignon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what does that mean? Mignon? It's cute. Ah, cute. Oh, okay. So just direct translation. Direct <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that, that's, this is the word. You can see that Jeremy said, what's... Mignon. Yeah. That's the one, okay. Yeah. The Netflix oh, pedophile show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, my, previous <laughs> my previous message, I described it as the pedophile show. <laughs> uh, which, is, which is not accurate. But <laughs> I mean, we haven't, to be, to be completely honest, we haven't watched it at all. 
But uh, it's trending now that, you know, cancel Netflix because of this. <laughs> I have friends who have canceled Netflix no, because I, of this. Well, but I think the wave has kind of passed. Like the ah, next yeah. news cycle is already on. <laughs> What's the next news cycle? I don't know. Uh, well, Trump, it's going right? to come soon. Um, but I think there was a, a better... Uh, there is a discussion we had about sexualizing children, uh, sexual, sexualizing girls. Because it gets confusing, right? So some people like... Like just like how we talked about um, girls, we... we you say that girls' virtues are bad, then the reaction is to deny that girls have particular virtues. And then now we have a process of, no, girls are different and it's good. Similarly, we used to say, uh, repress sexuality. Then suddenly, our reaction is to overhype sexuality sometimes, it seems. And then I feel like we have to come to a place where we kind of like, find a line. So we were talking about that beforehand, right? What's what's that line, you know? where Where's the line between over-sexualizing someone and where's that line of empowerment? And you were giving, you want to reshare what you, what your thoughts are? Yeah, I was just thinking that for me, that line is just a personal decision. Mm. So again, um, I have my own value and I tend and I, of course, I work on myself not to make judgments on the choices of others. But what I don't accept and what runs me crazy is when people don't choose, when people basically, and women in particular, act or make decisions based on what society imposes on them mm. or family mm. and when they don't have that free will, mm. basically, when they are not able to think by themselves and make a decision for themselves. Um, so I haven't seen this particular series either in particular. The mm. only thing I can say is, of course, I would probably find it very sad that uh, in a young age, we already show women that her value is true of physics. Mm. And I think that's very negative uh, anyway. Mm. But I would say overall, uh, whether a woman wants to be very sexualized, whether she loves her body and she wants to be loved for that, mm. if that's her choice, mm. fair enough. Mm. Uh, but if another woman on the other side feels that she has much more to share and that she doesn't want to be sexualized... She, and wants, she wants to wear to, a hijab, for example. And she wants to wear a hijab, mm. that's her choice. Mm. And I totally respect it. Mm. But there's a difference between you know, making that choice because I know why I want to do it and I feel good in it and mm. making that choice because, well, I'm afraid of what people will tell about me or that my friends will judge me or that my husband will do or my family, or blah, 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 you know? Mm. For me, that's the line. Mm. That's the line. And again, I think in, in the company I'm building and the message that I'm giving, that it can be tricky sometimes because... I don't want to come across as judgmental and I'm not here to free women or to mm. change the world. Mm. No, uh, I just want to give an opportunity and I decided to use motorcycle mm. and adventure tools and community-based tourism. I decided to use those tools to give an opportunity to women to explore themselves, to be exposed to other lifestyle, to open their mind and to discover their own internal power and, mm. you know, to be able to decide for themselves. It's just for me giving them a kind of platform, mm. you know, where they can explore their emotional freedom, their physical freedom on two wheels, and also potentially their economic freedom yeah. through jobs. So, you know, it's just giving them a platform to explore. <laughs> but then ultimately, they make their decisions. And, yeah. you know, I'm not saying one thing is better than the other. But at least being exposed and hearing about different perspective 
uh, and different way of living one's life, mm. I think is very enriching. Yeah. And again, it's both ways. Yeah. You know? This is basically not a philosophy class. You're not like uh, <laughs> by riding, you know, and then stopping by and uh, reading Simone de Beauvoir's. <laughs> I'm not sure she'd be the right person to read. <laughs> <You're not> yeah. <laughs> You're not reading <laughs> this to each other and like, let's discuss feminism <laughs> and you know, this no. is the patriarchy. We need to destroy it. <laughs> With every no. right, we are destroying patriarchy. <laughs> no. Basically, <laughs> what you're doing is, and I think that's a better... I it's just providing experiences, yeah, you yeah. know, opportunities and experiences because that's, I feel that's how we developed as human anyway. Mm. Um, and because I experienced it myself, I saw it myself as well, how I learned from other women on the road and also... Another aspect which is really important is I think, um, so this is a bit of a personal experience, but I went through a lot of adversities like in the last few months between, yeah, this job loss that was really sudden, you know, and that kind of turned my world upside down. And mm. then I lost somebody very, very dear to my heart, mm. very dramatically, mm. um, my young cousin. And so, um, and, but and then there was COVID. And strangely enough, it's also during that time where... I could discover all the strength that I have and that's in that time that I created FreeW. So basically, it's in the most difficult part, I feel, and it's, I share my experience, but it's the case for many people, uh, men, yeah. women, importantly. When we go through adversity, when we go through hard things, that's where we, we find our inner power. Yeah. That's mm -hmm. where we find the strength and that's often where somebody, something beautiful happens and we become better people. And basically through those adventure trips and pushing also women out of their comfort zone and going on their own with another group of women and doing those kind of adventure tours, it's giving them an opportunity to go in those a little bit difficult yeah. situation and not wait for something that will shatter their life. Yeah, but yeah. you know, I before guess. that going a little bit out of their comfort zone discover what they're made of you know mm, yeah. because even myself that I did lots of adventurous things before every time I, I go on a trip I discover something more about myself that I'm capable of or that mm. I'm not capable of or, you know and uh, I think that's um, that's very empowering self-empowering yeah like my boss always says you should be afraid when you're uh, I'm most uncomfortable when I'm comfortable Right, because we grow the most in adversity, mm. and especially like things that are very, very tragic, they, when they break down our entire psyche, it's a uh, bittersweet opportunity to rebuild everything. Right, mm. when you feel that real pain in your heart, then you have to ask yourself, why am I feeling this, and what am I going to do? What mm. it, it really makes you examine why am I living the way I'm living, and what kind of life I want to do? Because only that kind of because you want to stop that pain, right? So the only way is you have to look inside and like, okay. How do I stop this? How, how how do I make this better and easier? Oh, that's crazy. Nice. So, um, any plans for the future besides your trips? So, dating app in I, your, with the mm -hmm. motorbike? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, now I'm a part of a very interesting community of women entrepreneurs. So, I put that problem out there. I said, if anyone is a bit more tech savvy than me, <laughs> like, please do something for <laughs> dating for women because that's a really difficult. Maybe a rider dating app. <laughs> You'd really but, have to grow uh, the Yeah, no, I'm trying now. Now I'm trying to focus on free W. So, yeah, yeah. well, the key plan, as I said, so next year I'm going to have four trips lined up. Mm. So, fingers crossed, um, those can happen. At least uh, three of them are already on my website, and I hope to have some pre bookings and so on. And until then, I'm focusing on the Malaysian offering. So, um, so I'm building a 
different community-based tours. So as I said, there is this tour where we go on a ride and then we take a baking class with um, um, with the Women of Wheel community mm. um, or a sewing class. Yeah. I think and we, then, def- we need to connect you to the Women's Aid Organization. You, are you connected to Women's Aid Organization anyway? Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Okay, okay, yeah. okay. okay. Yeah, I, I volunteer good. with them. Oh, yeah. okay, fantastic. Right. And, um, and then there is uh, another tour so I'm doing with the Orangas Lee. So 10th, mm. 11th of October, I'm organizing an overtime, an overnight tour so we're going to go on the ride and then stay in uh, Gombak, which is quite close, but mm. we do a nice bike ride before. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, we're going to do some foraging and camping and stay overnight in the forest with the Oranga Sleeve community nice. mm. um, and doing some instruments and learning a little bit more about their culture. Um, so that's the trip uh, in October. Okay. Um, and then, of course, my riding classes. So mm. I have this uh, woman who's starting soon, mm-hmm. thanks to the sponsorship of this uh, American rider. Nice. Shout um, out, American sponsor. Yeah, well done. Exactly. Well done. <laughs> and um, yeah, and I hope to get more women to come ride with me. So I have a Malaysian woman who contacted me as well today, who'd like to sign up for a few classes as well. So. Mm. Yeah, I hope to have more women riders because then also those women riders, then they can either become guides with me or they can come on my tours Mm. uh, in Asia later. So if Jane Ao or Sharon Chong wants to start riding Harley Davidson's, where do they look? Where do they sign up? What's your website? What's the details? So the website is www.com. Freew.co. Mm-hmm. So that's very easy. Then, of course, I have my Facebook page. So mm-hmm. the Facebook page is Two Wheels to Free Wheel. <laughs> so Two Wheels <laughs> to two wheels. Free Wheel. Two Wheels to Free Wheel. Okay. Exactly. Great. <laughs> two wheels that's to my Facebook page. So there you can see the events that I'm planning and so on. And you mm. can see the riding classes. And mm. uh, yeah, you can book through me. And uh, yeah. So ladies out there, the ones that we know listen on a weekly basis, <laughs> Abigail, Samantha Ho, <laughs> call out everyone. <laughs> all the ladies that are out there, uh, you want to consider signing up, please do. <laughs> Go with Ruma Roy's blessing. Um, Alison, thank you so much uh, for coming on. Before we end, normally we either do recommendations or we do final thoughts. Probably what we would we recommend do? her website. Uh, so we do final thoughts. Okay, Jeremy, final thought? Yeah, I mean, I'll consider, I mean, never really thought about like riding a bike as like an activity, but you know, after listening to you talk about it, the joy of it, you know, I'm a bit more open about it, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> you can come for a class too. <laughs> <laughs> I'll see if I can find the time. <laughs> uh, my message is to all the boys out there. I think um, Alison's dad is super cool. And if we could become like, if you, I mean, if you want to have kids, if you could become a dad like that, that'd be pretty cool. Positive role model. Yeah, yeah positive role model. Mm. Uh, Alison, final final thought, final word. Oh, thanks so much. It was uh, great talking with you. Uh, <laughs> like I really enjoyed your podcast before. So thanks so much for inviting me nice. and your open mind mm. as well. And uh, yeah, I hope to see you soon on the on the road. <laughs> cool. And uh, thanks everyone for listening. And we are done. Yeah. Sensei. Sensei.